Hello, fellow fantasizers, and welcome to the podcast, Preoccupation with Fantasy. I'm your host, Dylan Shash, and this is episode five. So just a quick note, I tried recording this podcast on a walk at about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, because I um, barely did any moving <laughs> at all today, and I figured... Let's give it a try. It was nice outside. It was like mid-60s. Um, and I often do a lot of thinking when I'm walking outside, so I thought it could be a cool idea. But um, I knew that the sound wouldn't be the best, right? Because um, it is a bit windy outside and, you know, people are still driving and whatnot. But I thought it wouldn't be too bad. Well, about 15 minutes into my recording... Everybody and their mother was making the most noise possible. There were police cars and um, ambulance sirens, and uh, there's a boat siren and the curfew siren, and it was it was disastrous. So we were back in the house doing the recording, and um, we'll give it a go at a different time. But anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Um, I now have enough listeners to actually start um, monetizing the podcast, which is awesome. Never my intention or goal, but it is a cool thing to achieve. Um, but thank you everyone that just listens and gives feedback. And it's really cool to see how people interpret and receive the different episodes and the suggestions and feedback I get. So that's, that's really awesome. Uh, really, really grateful for all of that. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Well, I know that the past few episodes, maybe all of them, I've said that the topic was something that I was thinking about for quite a while, and that is true, but for this topic, um, it's quite the opposite. It is something that is very, very new to me, and... I, I suppose it would be best to describe it as a revelation I had. Um, this change in thinking that really has impacted me in a pretty profound way. And I think it will have a significant impact on your life as well. Because it is about something that we all deal with. And that is anxiety. And so I think everyone can get something interesting out of this. Okay, but first we have to talk about story time and where this episode came from. Um, but before that, let's go into a different story time. <laughs> so for, for almost as long as I can remember, I have been an anxious person. I have not always accepted and admitted that to myself or to other people, but uh, nonetheless, it's true. I can remember in, I think it was third grade, um, I forgot my binder in my locker and I needed it because I needed to organize it, I think, so that the next day I could turn it in and get points for it. And so I forgot it, so I couldn't organize it and I was afraid, you know, I was going to fail or whatever. And so I started freaking out and I eventually vomited 
all in, uh, over the kitchen because I was so uh, stressed out. And um, I have uh, pretty vague memories, uh, but I know they are at least somewhat true, them of having just what I now know are intrusive thoughts, right? Just these deeply irrational and ridiculous um, thoughts of anxiety, thinking something horrible is going to happen to me or to my family or my personal consequences are going to um, uh, lead to horrible consequences for the rest of you know the world. Just, just um, intrusive thoughts, right? Late at night. And it kept me up, and I was, um, I think I always, I always, I always, I, I fit in, I fit in well. Um, I always had a lot of friends, and I, I said, I guess I would say I was fairly popular and well-liked. But I did have some social anxiety, I guess, in the sense that I was very, very sensitive. And so I was always on guard and always worried about being judged, you know, saying the wrong thing, whatever it might be. And so this, you know, was starting as early as I can remember, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it started earlier because I do have a poor long-term memory. Um, as early as elementary school, and it continued it well into middle school, where I would get into uh, trouble for stupid things, and then when I was reprimanded by the teachers, I would have... Uh, panic attacks, I guess you could call them. Uh, and in high school, it was, um, high school is such a, a blur, but <laughs> I know there was lots of stress during that time. And then of course in college is, I guess is, uh, where I kind of peaked maybe, or had a peak, I should say. And so I have always struggled with this, you know, with excess worry and stress and faulty ways of thinking and rumination, right? All the classic anxiety manifestations. And it has been very difficult for me to say that out loud um, and to admit that to other people and to myself because I never saw myself or would never describe myself as an anxious person. You know, I knew I had maybe a little bit more anxiety than the normal person, but when I would look at other people, I would say, oh, well, I'm not as anxious as they are, you know, I have some stress, but they, <laughs> they are an anxious person. Um, I guess, you know, it, you know, falling victim to the faulty way of thinking that everybody's anxiety is the same, right? You know, so the person I was looking at can have one form of anxiety that I don't have and vice versa, right? And I can give the impression that they're anxious and I'm not. I was also just fooling myself. But beyond that, it, it is difficult for me for two other reasons, uh, very related reasons. One, I see myself as a, as a very optimistic, um, glass half full, joyful person. You know, I, it would be very much so incorrect to say that I am unhappy. And I, I, you know, I think I'm quite the literal polar opposite of that. And so, and I genu genuinely believe that. And so I see anxiety as sort of antithetical to that. So you, you know, this, uh, in the sense that 
you can't be a happy, joyful, optimistic person and be anxious at the same time. Um, and that's simply not true. <laughs> and it, it has taken me a, a while to realize that. Um, and then similarly, I think other people have always seen me as someone that is very optimistic and outgoing. And I think I said in an earlier episode that, uh, you know, I've been nicknamed Mr. Mental Health, right? Because I'm very passionate about it. And, um, I talk about it a lot. So I think people sometimes assume that I don't struggle with certain things, anxiety being one of them. And so I've, I've, uh, tried to live up to that image and deny my personal lived experience of having issues with anxiety. Okay. So it has been a lifelong battle and I've been in therapy for it. I am currently in therapy for it. I, um, am currently medicated for it and I do a lot of other things for it. Right. I get outside a lot. You know, I try to exercise. I get as much green space as I can. I try my very darndest to eat healthy. <laughs> um, I, give myself breaks, show myself grace, don't overwhelm myself as much as I can try to, um, you know, different things, right? There's, it's a, it's a whole toolbox of, of, um, anti-anxiety interventions <laughs> and they have certainly helped. I've certainly come a long way, made a lot of progress with it, gained a lot of insight. And I, I can confidently say that I have reduced my overall anxiety compared to two years ago, let's say, or even, you know, three months ago, because I'm always getting a little bit better, I think. And we all struggle with this to some degree, right? You know, we all have a little bit of anxiety. We all have a little bit of stress, of worry, a little bit more than normal sometimes. And it and we all deal with it in our own ways. It all presents itself to us in our own ways. Um, and, you know, I think that is really reassuring, right? That's, that's something that my first, technically second-ish, but like first therapist said to me that um, everybody has anxiety, right? Everybody has it. It's all around us. It's um, within our social systems and within our, you know, with our individual self. Um, some people are just better at handling it, better at coping with it. Some people have different life circumstances, whatever it might be. Um, and I find that reassuring, right? Cause it's this shared, um, experience that we all have. And of course we all get sad, sad sometimes, but we all don't go through depression, right? Where we have the, um, anhedonia and feelings of worthlessness. Uh, and maybe we do, but again, it doesn't reach that level of a clinical diagnosis of depression. And also, uh, you know, majority of people that have anxiety don't reach a clinical level, but it is much more so a part of our everyday lives than I would say depression or sadness is. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, and this is slowly transitioning to my overall point. <laughs> Um, so what separates anxiety from virtually every other mental health condition 
is that anxiety is physiologically ingrained within us. So again, we can all, we all get sad sometimes, but we all don't reach a level of no motivation or desire to get out of bed because we see no point, right? Um, and that is very much so tied to our psychology and our sociology, right? Of course, there is a biological, biological component to depression. I'm not denying that. But depression is very much so a disor uh, disorder of um, our own idea of our own sense of, of worth and self and our idea of what other people think of us. And anxiety is similar, but anxiety has a much more prominent physiological mechanism. And you don't get that picture about by looking at the brain. You get that picture by looking at a different part of the central nervous system. And that is the, as we've all learned, the sympathetic nervous system, right? So we've all learned about this. It's responsible for our fight or flight response. And then our parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite. It's our rest and digest, right? You know, this is, if you've ever taken a intro to psych class or probably learned about this in high school, right? We all know about it. And, you know, you'll always hear the, the, um, classic example of if you're running from a tiger, you know, this kicks in. And I, so I think something gets brushed over though, or presented wrong. And that is that anxiety exists for the sole purpose of trying to keep us alive, right? We traditionally view anxiety as this evil, sadistic, um, horrible entity with inside of, you know, inside of our minds that wants to ruin our lives and is responsible for so much suffering. And perhaps that is an appropriate um, view of anxiety, right? Because it can certainly feel that way. Like I have so much anxiety, I have so much distress, so much worry, and I'm um, just overwhelming me and crowding my thoughts and it's difficult to, you know, enjoy life. At the same time, anxiety exists um, or, or serves a beneficial, advantageous, uh, you know, process, I guess, uh, um, in us. And so, so let me give you an example. The, the classic example, again, is the tiger, right? You know, when, so when we were hunter-gatherers a long, long time ago, and if there was a, uh, if you were out for gathering food and a tiger was running after you, well, your sympathetic nervous system kicks in and your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases. And that's a good thing because your um, body needs to send more blood to your muscles. Um, your pupils dilate, which again is a good thing. You need to gather in more light, you know, have better, more acute vision. Your body... Uh, temporarily pauses your digestion, right? Because that energy can be used for something more important in the moment that you're being chased by a tiger. And all of these different physiological processes occur for your survival, right? And 
again, that's ingrained in us. It's, it's, it's part of your nervous system. That cannot be said about depression or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, right? Again, those all have a biological component, but not in the same way anatomically that anxiety does. And so it kicks in because it wants you to outrun the tiger or hide from it, you know, fight or flight and survive. Well, you know, the obvious response is, well, that's great for hunter-gatherers, but we aren't running from tigers anymore. And to speak more broadly, the vast majority of us, the vast majority of the time, are not in situations that are life or death, that are threatening our survival. And so why is this mechanism, you know, this ancient mechanism kicking in all the time when we consciously know that we're not going to die um, or that something horrible isn't going to happen to us? Um, and it's a fair question, right? And... You know, so I'm, I'm, it, it's a fair question. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, okay with that being asked, but I'm not okay with the consequences of that question. And um, those are, again, us viewing anxiety as this evil, sadistic thing that needs to be combated, that needs to be erased, that needs to be, you know, beaten up, whatever it is. And we have designed our entire mental health treatment uh, paradigm, if you will, around just that. You know, so you go to a physician, a psychiatrist, and you get medication to help ease your anxiety. Or you go to a therapist, and they help you identify and challenge your irrational thoughts. You know, maybe you're catastrophizing or uh, you're a victim of uh, black or white thinking, um, overgeneralization, right? And you learn to identify those anxious thoughts and then challenge them so they go away. So, so you can think more rationally and, and less have less anxiety as a result. And of course, there's the social media influencers, you know, right? You have to have the detox tea to ease your anxiety um, or do yoga, which that can be beneficial. That's great. Uh, mindfulness meditation is, is a phenomenal tool, right? So there's all of these things in our society that uh, are promoted as anxiety killers, <laughs> if you will, right? This is how you can get rid of anxiety. Um, and as I said, I am uh, a practitioner of a lot of these, right? You know, therapy and medication and healthy eating and exercise and um, on and on and on, social interaction, right? And again, they've helped. I know they helped tons and tons of people. I'm sure all of you have your own unique ways, and that's great because we all want less anxiety, right? We all want less suffering. So my issue is, I think we are getting the narrative wrong. And I say that because, again, as I've been anxious for a very, very long time. And I have, you know, gone up and down and left and right on this anxiety roller coaster and journey of mine. And I have tried and still, you know, do a lot of these different interventions. But I always still have anxiety. And I probably always will, right? I think for a long time I had this idea that I would reach a point where I was free of anxiety or I would have it at 
appropriate times, like if um, I was in a survival <laughs> situation, right? I now realize that 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 type of thinking is irrational <laughs> in itself, right? Um, but I still have a lot of anxiety, and I've always wondered why that is, because I feel like it hasn't changed a lot. I think I've made progress, but I still have more than I'd like. And I think part of the reason is because we've gotten the narrative wrong. So what do I mean by that? Well, I've said a few times that as a society, we view anxiety as this evil, sadistic, counterintuitive um, thing, entity, whatever it is that we have to defeat, we have to combat. But I think that's wrong. I think the reality is that anxiety is a beneficial, advantageous, cooperative entity that we should be thanking and working with. And that might make no sense at all, right? <laughs> so let me give you an example. Let's say you are going to a job interview and the moment you get offered an interview, you might feel anxious. Of course, you know, the night before the morning of and during you feel anxious and that's natural, right? Um, and so let's go to the morning of, of the job interview. You know, you wake up a little bit earlier than you usually do so that you can be on time. Uh, and similarly, you maybe leave the house earlier, you drive faster speed even to get to the place on time or early. You go through different outfits or maybe you spend time picking it the night before, which isn't necessarily usual for you. You worry about your hair and your teeth, your breath, and um, you know, the, the, I don't know, stubble on your face or the pimples or the wrinkles in your clothes, right? You spend all this time worrying and stressing about how you look. And again, you drive like a maniac, if you're me, <laughs> um, so you can get there on time or early because you want to make a good impression, right? And then at the interview um, or during it, you, um, you know, restrict yourself from saying maybe certain things that you would usually say and you try to come off, you know, really intelligent, put together, whatever it is. And so there's a lot of anxiety throughout this process, right? And more so than that, your anxiety, your anxious thoughts cause observable differences in your behavior. So again, you wake up earlier, you leave the house earlier, you break the speed limit, you take more time to fix your hair um, and I don't know, make sure your pants are free of wrinkles, whatever it is. And so your anxiety directly causes you to do things differently. And you might think this is so frustrating. Why am I so anxious? Why am I so worried? I wish I could just go to this interview and do my best and get it over with. And I didn't have to go through all this unnecessary stress and suffering beforehand. This is so unbearable. I'm such an anxious, broken person, right? I know I've been there. I'm sure a lot of you have as well. And that's a normal human experience. But I wonder if we flip the switch and we say, you know, it's interesting that 
I care so much about what I look like. And I care so much that I'm on time or early. I care so much that I present myself and come off as intelligent and competent in during you know during the interview in my um, in my speech, in my posture. It, yeah, so it's interesting that all these things happen. And again, why do they happen? Because you're anxious. <laughs> And so I wonder, I wonder if you see where I'm getting at <laughs> and I'm tired of kind of leading up. So I'll just tell you if you're not there yet, if we think of our anxiety and ourselves as two separate entities, which I don't, I'm not like a huge fan of, but it helps to visualize this. I think your anxiety wants the same thing that you do. Furthermore, your anxiety wants to achieve those things in very similar ways that you want to. And so we have to ask ourselves, why are we fighting something that wants the same thing as us and wants to achieve those things in the same way? Because that makes no sense, right? If um, someone you know, someone that you're on a team with, I don't know, once to get to the same place and once to get there the same way, why would you fight them? Or it, it, it's totally a waste of your time and energy and is totally antithetical to your um, desires. But that's what we do. We view anxiety as evil and we have to do all of these 27 healthcare, uh, self-care uh, items to get rid of it. But you might be asking, why do you think anxiety wants the same thing as you? Well, let's go back to the job interview. Your anxiety wants you to do well during the job interview. That's why you stress out about being on time. Hence, you wake up early. That's why you stress out about how you look. Hence, spending so much time worrying about your hair and fixing it and blah, blah, blah. That's why you um, spend so much time studying for the upcoming exam. This is why you spend so much time um, trying to think of another shared human experience. Uh, I don't know, going on a first date. You know, this is why you spend so much time, except that's similar to a job interview, right? We can, we can think of, of so many different um, examples. Uh, I don't know, going, you know... Uh, I sang in college so that, you know, my anxiety wants me to do well during my performance. That's why I spend so much time practicing. That's why I spent um, a ridiculous amount of time reading over the music, even though I knew it. Um, why I was worried that I wasn't getting enough water, so I'd constantly drink water throughout the day, which is great to hydrate, you know, the vocal cords. Any example you can think of, your anxiety wants the same thing that you want. And that is totally different than what we have believed up to this point, which is our anxiety just wants to watch us fail. It's, you know, maybe it's not intentional, but for whatever reason, it's this barrier, it's this thing in our way that just 
create so much unnecessary suffering. And if we just got rid of it, our lives would be better and we could do the things we wanted to do. Maybe that's the case, but I do not see a reality in which someone lives without anxiety. I don't know. Maybe the Dalai Lama does, and that's wonderful. For me, that's not a reality. And so I'm done fighting it. I'm done fighting this thing that really just wants the same thing I want and wants to help me, right? And we can totally, um, you know, reduce this to some uh, scientific explanation, you know, so uh, the anthropologists and evolutionary psychologists, biologists would say that, you know, your anxiety wants you to do well on the job interview because that will help your survival so you can have money to eat and your anxiety wants you to make a good impression on your first date because social connection is good for your health and your survival, right? That's, I'm, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> um, there's so many different ways you can analyze it uh, and come up with theories. What I'm interested in is the simple hypothesis that anxiety is a friend, not a foe. And it's time that we start treating it that way. But there's one question left uh, that we have to answer. And that is, okay, maybe let's say I accept your premise, Dylan, that anxiety wants the same thing that I want. And it wants to do, it wants to get there in the same way. But it has to know that me getting this job or not does not um, affect my survival, right? You know, I'll, I'll get another job. Um, me doing well on this test is not is not life or death for me, right? It's it's one grade in in, in the, a sea of of grades. Um, so none of these experiences that I get anxious about are are life or death situations. So why is my anxiety kicking in? Why does it have to make me? live on the edge all the time if if I'm not in a life or death situation that my hunter-gatherer ancestors were hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's a very good point, very good question. And this comes back to what makes anxiety different than other mental health conditions. Um, it, it Unfortunately, our sympathetic nervous system, our fight-or-flight response, kicks in, right? We do have some control over it, but part of it is involuntary, and once it kicks in, um, you know, it only has an off or on switch, right? So once it kicks in, it's like, okay, survival mode, we gotta get going, we gotta get ready. And so, you know, we can learn how to calm down our sympathetic nervous system, and that's great, but again, we can learn to cooperate with it. and. Your anxiety might not know that it's not a life or death situation, but you do. And you are, to some large degree, in control of your anxiety. And you are, to a very, very large degree, in control of your thoughts. And so, what I have been doing is having this conversation with myself, <laughs> with my anxiety. When I start to feel myself get anxious, and um, it could be 
I'm ruminating on something, having intrusive thoughts, um, I'm having somatic symptoms of anxiety, so my heart starts to race, I get sweaty, uh, I get tense. I have this imaginary conversation in my head, because I would never do this out loud, <laughs> besides right now. Um, first, I recognize that I'm feeling anxious, right? I recognize the thoughts I'm having, the physical sensations I'm having, the state I'm in. And I say, okay, right now I'm feeling anxious. After I recognize it, I say, hello, anxiety. I can see that you are causing me to feel and think this certain way. I hear you. I know that you are here with me. I don't know. And then I say, thank you for making me feel anxious so that I can, depends what situation I'm in, um, study for this test so I can pass it so that I can make a good impression at whatever. Uh, so thank you, anxiety, for helping me to be prepared for this, to think about this in a different way, to not act impulsively, um, to double check that the door is locked, right? So I, I'm actually thanking my anxiety at this point and, and validating my anxiety, if you will. And then this is the, the crucial part. After I've recognized that I'm feeling anxious, why my anxiety is kicking in, and after I've thanked my anxiety, um, I say, but I'm okay. This is not a life or death situation. My survival is not um, in jeopardy here. So we can calm down. We can come back to the present moment, take a deep breath and realize that we're not going to die. And instead we're going to do the best that we can and show ourselves some grace because the best that we can do is all that we can do. And regardless of how this turns out, whether I pass or fail the test, whether I get or not get the job, whether I um, make friends or not, whether I sing great or poorly, I'm not going to die. I'm still going to be alive tomorrow and life will move on. And I'll try my best next time. Ever since I've been doing this, and it's been like a tad over a week, I have, as a whole, felt less anxious, and I've felt less drained, I guess, in a way, because I am no longer relentlessly fighting this thing that will not go away, that cannot go away. And that is a thing I should not be fighting in the first place, right? I feel relieved. I feel more accepting and understanding of myself and of my anxiety. Um, 
and it's 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 one less battle that I don't have to face. And 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 uh, more tangibly speaking, I feel less anxious. <laughs> like, uh, and, and I feel less anxious in a way that the medication, the therapy, the exercising, the X, Y, and Z has not achieved for me. I feel less anxious in a quantifiable way, you know, like on a scale from one to 10, I feel, I don't know, two points lower, I don't know. But I also feel less anxious um, in a qualitatively different way in that when I start to feel anxious, I typically don't feel more anxious because I'm anxious about being anxious. <laughs> now when I start to feel anxious, I almost have the sense of relief. Like, oh, okay, here comes anxiety. I have to um, recognize why I'm feeling this way and, and why it's beneficial. I'm doing this these certain things because of my anxiety. And then I feel calm because I get to remind myself this isn't life or death, blah, 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 right? And so this has really, really helped me. And I am so grateful that I made this um, discovery for myself, if you will. After 23 years of life, after probably 15 plus years of anxiety. But, there's a but. You might be thinking, okay, I accept your premise. I'm going to try this out. But I doubt I'm going to feel less anxious. At least not right away. And you're probably right. And the reason that is because we have to remind ourselves up to this point, we have had a certain relationship with anxiety. That is, again, anxiety is evil, ugly, sadistic, torturous entity that wants to weigh us down and cause suffering. And I, the self, I am... Uh, just trying to live my best life and trying to achieve my goals and be happy. And so we've had that relationship. I mean, for me, that's been 15 plus years. I've had the same relationship with anxiety through elementary and middle and high school and this relationship and that relationship in this part of life in this um, chapter of my story, right? This relationship has been constant anxiety, evil, me, good. If I can get rid of anxiety, life would be great. <laughs> And so you've, you know, if, if I've had this relationship with anxiety, the same relationship for 15 years, of course it is going to take me some time to change that, right? It's not going to change. I'm not going to change a 15-year relationship in 15 days or maybe even 15 weeks. I don't think it's going to take another 15 years, but it will take a lot of time and a lot of work because this is almost natural to us. Right? You know, you often don't see your parents become a totally different person or you don't see them change in the way that you want them to because that's how they live their entire lives. You know, they're 50, 60, 70 years, years old. I doubt they're going to make a ginormous life change in the way that you want them to at this point. Similarly, if you've had the same relationship with anxiety for, you know, two, three, ten 30 years, it's going to take some time for you to change your thinking and your automatic patterns and behaviors, right? So show yourself some grace in that. At the same time, you can be um, relieved and joyed 
in the fact that the first step and the biggest step I would say is changing the narrative, changing the narrative from anxiety is against me to anxiety is with me. That is monumental, right? That's the catalyst. After that, the work comes. You have to challenge the automatic uh, and, and create this new understanding and, and relationship. Okay, so um, that is it, I think. That's what I wanted to share. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> it does in my head, so I hope it comes across that way. Um, if you are struggling with really high anxiety, stress, worry right now, maybe give this a try, right? Maybe change your thinking and your behaviors and, and start viewing anxiety as wanting the same things you want, right? It's just a little, it's just a little over the top and you have to remind it sometimes that, you know, everything's chill, okay? Um, and I hope it, I hope it works for you. I do, right? Um, cause like anxiety, I want the same thing for you. I want you to live your, your best life free of, of as much suffering as possible. Okay. So I just wanted to share some, some insight with that, but I think, um, I have beaten that to death now. And so I'm going to be, going to be done, but thank you all again so much for, for listening and supporting this and see you soon for the next episode.